Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday morning at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11. Good morning! I was explicitly told the moment I walked up here not to talk about the ducks. So here's the thing, I don't need to. For those of you who just cheered, you know. So I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. So hey, welcome to Vox Community. We are a little church that started out of a podcast uh, with Mike, who is uh, not here today. He's taking a little bit of time off. And um, yeah, we're really excited that it's raining, and it's cold, and it's May, and it completely screws up the entire idea of April showers bring May flowers, so we don't know what May showers bring, um, thankfully, all of you guys. So yeah, so a couple things uh, we're going to do today. We have a guest teacher uh, named Ronnie Roa who's going to be joining us today, uh, who comes uh, over from uh, being at Mariners for a long time. Um, and in a moment, I'm going to have uh, Bria come out and share a little bit uh, about herself and tell us her story and uh, what her journey has been like um, coming into Vox. But uh, a few things uh, before we get there. Uh, we have a website, voxoc.com. Um, everything um, is there from the website as far as uh, different ways to participate if you're interested in being on a Sunday team. Um, the one way that we love to do that is through something we call New to Vox Dinner. Uh, we'll pitch you guys a little bit about um, who we are, what our vision is, and uh, what it looks like to not only be attending and, and hearing about us, but also uh, when you um, are interested in, in doing stuff with us and helping us uh, grow and uh, telling your friends and family about it. Um, goodness, let's see. My mind just went blank. I was thinking about the ducks. <sighs> Tragic. So yeah, uh, as a part of uh, one of our core convictions here at Vox, uh, we say that Vox uh, should be the safest place to talk about anything. Um, every week, um, we ask someone to get up here and actually just tell, um, tell you guys a little bit about them. Um, ultimately, because we just see an incredible value uh, for offering great permission for you guys to be able to share and uh, share who you are. And uh, the feedback we've been getting um, from stories is, is you guys saying that you appreciate them so much, mainly because we often find that someone else in here um, has a similar story. And for the first time, they walk into a church and hear someone talk about them. They're like, wow, that's, that's okay, that we can be in process, that we can doubt, um, that we can be working through different pains and experiences we've had, either uh, walking alongside Jesus or walking outside of faith or even just trying to figure out this entire church thing. Um, as you might have all participated in it. So um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, have Bria come on out oh, with us. Please give her a warm welcome. Hi, Bria. Hi. Uh, so Hi. Bria has actually been um, serving on our Vox uh, uh, Sunday teams for how long now? A little while. Not too long, but. Two months. Like two two months. months, yeah. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, I'll let you go ahead and take it away. Okay. Um, how I viewed God as a child seemed like he wasn't very realistic, but this was a man I was taught to believe in and confess my sins to. Um, it was very unintentional, and I did not look at him as a father at all. Um, I stopped going to church for a few years because of playing sports all weekend long, and um, it didn't really affect me because I didn't have a relationship with him, so I didn't know him. And um, I started going to church again my freshman year of high school. And after a couple years, I looked, um, 
I joined one of their life groups, and I met new girls my age who I couldn't really relate to, and hearing them talk about their faith, it wasn't in ways I saw God. Um, I did not willingly join this life group. Uh, I was smoking marijuana my sophomore and junior year of high school, um, and after my parents found that out, my dad put me in this life group hoping for me to get away from that group of people and what I was doing. And I started dating a guy my senior year of high school and um, I lost my virginity to him. And uh, I continued to go to parties and all in the middle of doing that, I committed to Biola University on a softball scholarship. And I continued dating my boyfriend at the time until the end of my freshman year of college. Um, I was unfortunate to have more negative encounters with students my first few months at Biola than positive. The majority of people I met made me feel stupid for not knowing Bible verses from the back of my hand. And some made me feel ashamed for being afraid to pray out loud. And um, I remember going home crying because I felt I didn't fit into the Biola environment. And I just I felt I wasn't Christian enough to be there. Uh, Biola people aren't all bad people. I was just unfortunate to meet the not so great people my first few months attending there. Um, I was open-minded to learning more about Christianity and my own walk with God but dating my boyfriend from high school, I put more of my focus into him than investing into Biola because those negative encounters that kind of pushed me away from investing anything um, into those people, my team, the school. Um, I was in a very toxic relationship for two and a half years. I was never skinny enough. Um, he would he would vocally compare me to other girls. Um, he brought out anger and jealousy in me that I've never had before. Um, and he, he told me uh, he didn't treat me right because I didn't deserve it. And um, one of the chapels at Biola, I heard a speaker say, um, your boyfriend, your school, your sport, etc. it should not come before God. And I, said to myself, well, I love my boyfriend, and I do put him before God, and I'm okay with that. And that thought I had left me very uneasy. Uh, my parents, my sister, my friends, they didn't like that I was in this relationship, and it distanced myself from them. Um, I started thinking if someone like me could have a relationship with God, I wanted to know him more, and I wanted to see where that would take me. I knew I couldn't fully pursue God if I was still in this relationship because I had to choose between either my boyfriend or pursuing Jesus, and I finally pursued God at this point. Um, I felt completely impure after being sexually active in that relationship, and I felt like I didn't have any control over my life because I made my relationship my entire life, and there is nothing I could have done to fix it. I eventually broke up with him and totally disconnected myself from social media, his phone calls and texts, and I stopped going home for five months. Um, my softball coach helped me through the breakup. My 
teammates became like my sisters, and I was opening my heart up to God and basically surrendering, surrendering anything and everything that I wanted for myself. Um, I, still, I still don't feel like a good enough Christian to be a, a part of a church, uh, but I'm not taking my focus off of pursuing Jesus, so I try to look past that and past the way I feel about myself. Um, I've been coming to Vox since November now and serving for two months, and it's the first time I've ever been a part of a church. And since joining Vox, I loved how I didn't feel I had to present myself a certain way in order for them to accept me. I didn't have to show that I wasn't broken or I wasn't, you know, I didn't have anything before coming here. And I never thought I'd find myself on staff in a church or even sharing my story, but being a part of Vox, it's made me feel comfortable and safe to be who I am and mostly not ashamed of who I was before before this. Thank you, Good job. So yeah, for us, um, yeah, that's what it's all about. Like, we've all brought baggage to this thing, and yeah, we're just we're just not in the business of checking it at the door. You know, all of us are confronted by something Jesus is doing in our life, and um, if anything, which that's for us, that's what safe to belong is. That you know, we're all safe here to kind of step into that process and ask those questions and and see what God wants to do. So um, I'm gonna hand this over to Izzy here in just a second, but we're gonna. Uh, Try to take some time to respond just a little bit, and you know, I just I just encourage you guys and invite you guys to to maybe be surprised by God today, and uh, whatever that looks like for your engagement, um, it's absolutely welcome. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and invite uh, Ronnie up here, and uh, yep, so just a couple things before Ronnie gets going. Um, we actually give you the ability to text us questions during the teaching. It is the most fearless thing that we have ever done here as we humor so much of your wonderful requests of the things that we love to hear about. Um, Bob, if you could put that number up real fast so they got that there. There you go. That's the number. Save it. Text it. goes directly to my phone. I am willing to take all and any of your harassment. Um, yeah, and so uh, as soon as uh, Ronnie's done teaching, um, we'll hit the centerpiece of this whole thing, which is Eucharist. And so I invite you guys to, to stick around. Um, we really hope that we could create a space and time for you guys uh, to respond to teaching, respond to worship, respond to the story uh, that you've heard this morning. Um, we've got uh, prayer walls up here where you guys can write prayers. Our prayer team will be praying for you. Um, prayer shawls, uh, which uh, have this beautiful history and story behind them, but they represent a symbol of healing. Just the, the tassels there that are on the end. There's a, a fantastic story in the Bible where a woman reached out to grab those as Jesus was walking through a crowd and she was instantly healed. And um, there's so much more to that, but we offer that as a symbol to hold on to and pray if, if you need healing this morning. Um, there'll be other folks around uh, that can pray for you. Gluten-free uh, communion is over on that side of the room. Uh, vegan communion is actually at all of them. Hey, how about that? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and hey, that's it. Also, if, uh, if you want to uh, continue or uh, financially participate with us for the very first time, we've got boxes around the room. And that's that. I'll let Ronnie take it away. Thanks, Thanks. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be with you. This is, this is so great, guys. This is awesome. Um, all of it, uh, the worship, the beginning, the story. Uh, I, uh, I visited here last year, and uh, there's, you know, the church community is sort of a small 
small community, and there's murmurings of what's going on over here, and I, I wanted to come see, and I was uh, amazed. that it, uh, the, the, the ruthlessness that you're willing to pursue Jesus in the midst of um, questions and skepticism and doubt, uh, I, I believe is what we're supposed to be, and yet we find it so rare in church communities. And so I love that, that this is how you guys have chosen to gather around Jesus and to pursue him that way. And so um, it's an honor for me to get to be here. I, I've been just an admirer of this community for a while, and honestly, uh, when, I mean, how great is your teacher, Mike, right? Uh, he's amazing. Uh, I feel like a white guy at a dunk contest, if I'm honest. Like, everyone's looking at me like, what are you going to do? Uh, and so I'm grateful to be here. Um, uh, my wife and I are excited that I get a chance to share uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I am 37 years old. Um, uh, my, I've been married for eight years. We have uh, one son who's four. This is our Easter picture. Anybody else's Easter picture look like that with your kids? Uh, we tried to take a picture, and this is... This is how he decided he wanted to take a picture. And if you have four-year-olds, this is what they do. Uh, I have another picture of him, actually. Uh, his name is Dallas. So this is his school um, masterpiece. This is Claude Monet's Blossoms, as you could clearly tell, right, on the bottom right is his. Uh, he, was, he wasn't very excited and proud about his work, as you can tell. Um, but we're, we, um, we're excited to be here. And so what I wanted to do is uh, I wanted to just jump into the passage that I want to talk with you about this morning. Uh, it comes out of Matthew chapter 26. Um, and this story, as we kind of back up a little bit, I know that um, Easter is sort of fresh on our minds as we've kind of just uh, transitioned out of that. And I, I know that you talked about the intersection of, of hope uh, and also the intersection of hope and, and your pain and what does that look like. And I think Jesus teaches us that. And for me, as I look at this in my own journey, the intersection of hope and pain for me has been this mystery of God. That God is mysterious, and, I, and I, I came from a place that really tried to make God formulaic. That if I did A, B, and C, that somehow I would gain access to, to D. And this is what I thought it would be like. And, and when that foundation couldn't hold up, when life experiences couldn't hold up with that, um, I had to embrace that there were some things about God I couldn't know. There were some things I just couldn't answer, and there was a part of it that actually strengthened my faith. I know that to sometimes people, that, that's scary, that, that there's an unknowability about God, and yet he invites us to know him deeply. And so uh, for me, that's my intersection. But we learned, some story, uh, learned something about ourself and about this idea of pain and suffering as we go into the Garden of Gethsemane uh, just a few hours before Jesus would die. So I'm going to read this passage, uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of jump into what we're going to talk about. So Starts this in verse 36. Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee, two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. This is powerful, powerful language. Anguish, uh, distress, this, this anguish is uh, not really uh, translated in our, in our language. We'll get into that a little bit. But he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further, and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. And then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And Jesus left them a second time, and he prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples, and he said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man has been betrayed to the hands of sinners. 
up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So pain and suffering is either the greatest obstacle to hearing God's voice, or it becomes one of the most powerful catalysts to draw near and encounter God. That's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. So I'd love to pray for you if I could do that. Would you bow with me and pray? God, we, we are acknowledging that you are here, your presence in this place. You are big enough to handle all of our doubts, our skepticism, our hurts, and our pains, and that you are with us in that. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And so we draw upon that strength and that courage. We ask that you would, uh, you would knit our, our spirits together, our minds together as we hear your word. Um, teach us to be more like you. Help us to love you more and to love your people more each and every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So my dad was a, an immigrant from the Philippines, uh, third world country. Anybody have, anybody have parents who are immigrants from a third world country? Anybody? Okay, just a few of us. Yeah, all right. You can clap for that. It's great. Immigration. Build a wall. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's, that's terrible. Um, so my, my dad uh, grew up with seven brothers and two sisters in a third world country. Uh, his dad was a lawyer and a doctor just to try to make ends meet. Uh, and so he would often uh, tell me stories about uh, growing up and how parental care in a third world country is sort of non-existent when you have seven brothers and two sisters. And so like he would tell stories about getting injured and it's like, you just, you just have to fend for yourself. Like you weren't going to the hospital unless you had like a bone sticking out. And even then, like if they couldn't tape it, then you were probably not going to go see a doctor. Uh, and so my dad kind of grew up in this culture where you just sort of had to like suck it up. You just, you're fine. Walk it off. You know, so he comes here, uh, he meets my mom and they start a family. And so I become the product of that uh, and so anybody ever experienced this as a child? You get hurt, and your parents go, oh, it's no big deal. You're fine. Walk it off. You know, it's this, like, crazy thing we teach our kids. Don't trust your feelings. You're fine. Walk it off. And so I sort of lived with this mentality when it came to hurt and pain, which is, you're fine. Just walk it off. And so now, as a dad, I have my son who I get to look out for and care for. And so how do I help him understand pain and suffering? In fact, uh, just the other day, he was um, in the bath, and I was giving him a bath, and uh, he was real tentative with his hand. He just didn't want me to see his hand. So as a dad, you kind of know something's going on. So let me see your hand. No, it's okay. It's fine. Let me see your hand, you know. And so he shows me his hand, and I can tell that he had a sliver in his finger. But because he hadn't told me, uh, it had gotten a little bit infected, and it was kind of red, and... And I said, okay, buddy, well, we're going to have to get this out. And he's like, tears. He's just, no, I don't want to. Uh, and so and I get him out of the bathtub, and it's like I wrap him up in towel, bring him in his room, and then he just knows. He's, he's bawling. I got to get it out, you know. And I go and get all the tools, which makes it worse. You know, he sees all the tools that I bring in. <laughs> it's like operation. And, uh, and I'm holding his hand, and, and, and I'm like, it's okay. But as a, as a child, how, how do I explain to a child that in order for him to heal, there might be a little bit more pain and suffering involved in the process. How do, you, how do we understand that? How do I teach him that, that? That while this may hurt and be painful, this is the only way for him to actually get better. I think sometimes as we go through our lives, we encounter pain and suffering the same way. What do we do? How do we understand that some of it may be for our benefit, even though we can't see it in, in, in the midst of it? Uh, do we just walk it off? You just get up and you're going to be okay and forget it. For me, I can remember clearly when the bomb went off in my life. 
uh, it was a few years ago. Um, I went to work, and I got a phone call from my wife. And uh, it was around 11 o'clock, almost noon. She said, hey, can I could hear in her voice that she was visibly shaking. Can I come pick you up today? And I thought, sure, okay. I mean, we're going to have lunch. That's fine. Uh, and so she gets to the, the office, and I, I come down the church office, and I walk out to the parking lot, and I open the door. When I open the door, um, she's crying. She's tears in her eyes, and now I'm, now I'm freaked out. Like, what, what's happening? Are you okay? Is our son okay? What, what's happening? And she's like, just get in the car. i got to talk to you. So we begin driving out of our church parking lot, and uh, we don't even get out the exit, and she stops, and she says, I, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, tell me, what's going on? And she said, uh, I've been having an affair. And uh, what do you do with that? I mean, the pastor at a church, his wife has an affair, like, what, what does anybody do in that situation? You know, the bomb goes off, and it's like, your ears are ringing. You can't see anything. Smoke has filled your life. You, you, you don't know what end is up. And for me, ah, man, your, your theological worldview goes out the window. It becomes real. It's not philosophical anymore. You have to ask yourself, do I actually believe in this God that would allow something like this to happen? And what do you do when something like that happens to you? Jesus teaches us that there is a way to suffer, and we can suffer well, that we actually can suffer well as people. And, and part of that is, 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 is difficult to, to embrace because pain is this odd-shaped emotion that we don't really know what to do with when it happens. You know, we've got the normal set of emotions that we are familiar with, but then pain comes into our life, suffering comes into our life, and, and what do we do with that? You know, I think back to my childhood, just walk it off, you're going to be okay. You know, there's not... Uh, we have plenty of ways to deal with our pain today. There's, there's numerous ways. Some of us choose to drown it in work. Um, if I just get more involved and more busy or if I pick up more hobbies or if I do more things and I can sort of try to numb what I'm experiencing, what I'm sensing. And some of it is alcohol and drinking and, and, and food and overeating and all of those kinds of things that we use to cope with are ways to try to help medicate this pain and suffering. And what happens is if we don't deal with it, it pushes down inside of us and then it can begin to, uh, to be infected, much like the sliver in my son's hand. It, it sits there and we try to ignore it because we're afraid of what might come of it if we actually look at it and it begins to, to, to fester and it becomes infested. And then it comes out and we unleash that pain on people sometimes. Unintentionally, it just sort of comes out of us. You've heard the expression that hurting people hurt people. That there is a good chance that if somebody has hurt you, that there's an intense pain in their own life that they haven't dealt with yet. And pain often leads us to feeling isolated and alone. And what we understand is when we look at the story in Gethsemane, that Jesus does not go into the suffering alone. That he doesn't choose to enter into the most painful moments of his life by himself. And this is surprising to me because this is Jesus. This is the Savior of the world. This is God with flesh on and it says that he takes Peter, James, and John with him, his three closest friends, to go be with him in the midst of suffering. He says, he took Peter and Zebedee, his two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
We don't do life alone. We don't live our lives in isolation, especially when it comes to pain. Jesus, he invites these men to be with him, to look at him, to see him in his most vulnerable place. He says to look at me. The the words that he uses, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, is this violent emotional shock that Jesus is experiencing. Like I told you in the beginning, that the the language, the transliteration of the language doesn't give us the real understanding, but it's this this violent shaking, a a pain and a trauma and a suffering that is going to happen that is so great that he's actually shaking. And he invites them to look at him. Just come and pray with me. Stay with me and just be vigilant and watch over me. How can we expect people to walk with us if we're not vulnerable in our pain? Jesus is vulnerable. He's open. He's honest. He says, look at me and see the pain that I'm in. Be with me. Keep watch over me. Powerful, powerful stuff, but also very scary. If you're going through pain, you invite people into it. This also brings up another question is, how do we respond as friends to someone who's going through pain and suffering like that? If you are a Peter, a James, or a John, how do you respond to somebody that's in the midst of pain? You know, I've been in the church world long enough that I've seen um, how it can go bad, how it can go south. Um, I think that there's a fragility in us that we don't understand our own pain and we're, we're, we're not adequately equipped to deal with our own pain. And so when we see somebody else in suffering and pain, it's hard for us to actually see them. And so then we offer cheap fixes and solutions. You've heard things like, well, I know that's sad, but you know what? God is still on the throne, you know? And they mean well, and I get it. And those things are true, but those truisms offer little help to someone in the midst of pain and suffering. You know, when I was going through my situation, people were sending me Bible verses after Bible verses after Bible verses and text messages. And listen, I, I love the Bible as much as anybody. And I know those Bible verses. I've taught those Bible verses. I didn't need Bible verses sent to me. I just needed people to see me in my pain. To understand that this was painful. I didn't even expect people to understand. I just wanted people to see me for who I was and what I was going through. So I think it's important for us as we walk alongside those in pain that we don't try to offer cheap fixes. In fact, I'll give you a gift this morning. You ready? Here's your gift. If you see anybody going through something painful or suffering, you don't have to fix them. It's not your responsibility. It's not your job. You can simply come alongside them and see them. Tell them, I'm here. And if you need anything, you come talk to me. Even if you just need to sit with somebody for hours while they cry, That is what Jesus was asking when he said to keep watch, see me with compassionate vigilance. You know, something happens when we enter into pain and suffering with other people. It actually humanizes us. I don't know if you've thought about this, but it actually brings us to a level of humanity together. It scares us because we're afraid. It reminds us that we're fragile, that we're humans, and that it could happen to us, and I don't know what I would do if something like that happened to me. And so... My natural reaction when somebody goes through a loss or pain is I want to push away because I'm not sure. I feel inadequate. I'm scared. Jesus invites us to come into that. But it humanizes us. When we see someone in pain and suffering and go, wow, I can see that that's hurt. that's hurt. it's hurting you. 
it brings a, a level of humanity. Because the opposite is this dehumanization. We live in a country that's torn because people are unwilling to look at other people's pain and say, wow, that must be very difficult. I can't even imagine. But instead, what happens is the country begins to draw conclusions about it and say, well, I don't know why that's not been my experience and I don't see that. And, and so we dehumanize each other when we don't actually sit in the midst of pain and suffering with people. And Jesus invites them to see, not a cheap fix. You don't need Bible verses. Just watch over me. This is surprising. I think it's surprising when you look at the story to think that this is what Jesus wanted. Three times he returns to be with his friends. Look at me and they fall asleep. Look at me and they fall asleep. Look at me and they fall asleep. This tells us something about the journey and the nature of pain and suffering. I think at times... Some people can't go on the journey with us, and that's okay. There will be people in your life that you think that when something happens, a bomb goes off, that, that they'll be with you, and they simply cannot go. And I, I remember friends of mine in our family that, that just walked away from us, and it was painful. And I wanted to be angry, and I wanted to be upset, but then I realized that not everybody can go there. And so we can offer grace and extend forgiveness and instead, we can be a help maybe for them in the future. That if something happens in their life, they might call on us to lean on, to be there for them, to care for them. But he comes back over and over again. He seeks to be with others. So in suffering, we invite others in. And in suffering, Jesus goes to his Father, to God. He doesn't run away from God. He says he comes to God. Now, this is Jesus, the one who said, I've come to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And yet, just hours before his death, he's in the garden, and he says, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, he comes with this honest vulnerability to God in heaven and says, please, if there's any other way, take this cup of suffering from me. Which tells us that in the midst of our pain and our suffering, that we can actually run to God with all of that, and say, if there's any other way. I don't want to have to do this. I don't, I don't want to have to endure this. It's okay. It's okay for us to do that. Jesus did this in the garden. Over and over again, he kept coming to God. If there's any other way, if there's any other way. But God met with Jesus in that moment. I remember talking with my therapist uh, in the midst of all of these discussions and pain and suffering, and he told me this thing that I'll never forget. He said, Ronnie, you, as a follower of Jesus, have to understand what it means to suffer well. And I thought, you're insane. Like, those two words just don't go together. How can you suffer well? And he said, no, no, listen to me. Suffering well is, in, is what we're called to do because in the midst of our suffering, you have to find Jesus there. You have to actually see Jesus with you in the midst of this pain and this suffering. And I, at the time, I couldn't understand it. But I remember I was at a coffee shop a few weeks later by myself, just sitting there thinking about everything that just happened in my life. And I closed my eyes and I began to cry because for a moment, for a moment, I began to see the image of Christ sitting at a table with me, with me. He no longer was the God who was way up here that I kind of theologically knew about, philosophically knew about, but now he was a very personal God who was sitting 
across from me. And he was crying too. And he was suffering too. And it was as if Jesus looked at me and said, son, I see you in your pain. I see you in your suffering. I suffered too. I don't want this for you. And it was like this light bulb moment went off when I realized that the power of Jesus in our suffering is that he is with us. It actually unites us with God. It brings us into a communion, into a real connection with God. And so suffering can become this thing that actually connects us and binds us to God. Strange, I know. But we find communion and connection with God in the midst of this pain. If we're willing to suffer, suffer well. Suffering is one of these things that we live here in this world, in this life. None of us are immune to it, whether you've experienced it, are experienced it, or haven't yet. It will come. And what do we do? There's a story of an author who wrote a book about forgiveness and grief. And uh, he was driving home with his mother, his wife, his two girls, and his son. He was hit by a drunk driver, and he lost three generations in his family. He lost his wife, his mom, and his two girls. And you could imagine the grief and the pain that someone might be experiencing in that. And he tells the story of what it's like to finally suffer well. He says, we can see the sun setting in the distance, like on any given day. And we want to run towards the setting of the sun, because there in the sun is a light and warmth and there's hope, and we want to go that way. But yet we can feel the creeping of dark coming over us, and we run away from dark because in darkness there's isolation, there's pain, there's suffering, it's cold. And so we run towards the sun, and yet it's futile because it just keeps setting in the horizon, and the darkness keeps creeping in over and over us. And he tells it like this. He says, it's only when we turn towards the darkness, and we begin to take steps and walk through it, that we get to see the sun rise on the next day. Suffering is something that we must experience, we must go through. But we are not alone in that. We have each other. That's the beauty of community. We have each other to suffer with us, as Peter, James, and John were called to see him in the midst of it. And we have God to be with us, in our suffering. I love that the writer in the book of Hebrews says this in chapter four, verse 15, about Jesus, our high priest. It says that this high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of these same testings and yet he did not sin. You see, Jesus, because of the garden, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he's experienced all of that pain, all of that suffering that you will eventually go through. And not only does he see you, he takes it to a whole nother level in that he understands. He understands every level, every angle, every possible situation. He has been there with us. And he calls us to suffer with him, to suffer well. Because as we choose to suffer well, 
we realize something. That this Jesus that we follow did not end the story with death and burial, but it ended with resurrection. And we get to be a community of resurrection people. And so as I can stand here and tell you that um, my marriage was dead. By all accounts, it was dead. But yet through suffering, and through suffering well, I have seen the resurrection in my marriage. I have seen God restore what I never thought could be restored. But that isn't to say that everything is great. That I can't just tie a bow on it and say, everything is great now. No, it's still painful. There's still moments and, and, and there's still days that are hard, but we suffer together and we realize that God is with us in the midst of this. And that gives us great hope. It gives us great hope that he, he understands. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at in your story. Maybe you've had a loss. Loss of a relationship, loss of a family member. My encouragement to you is, will you suffer well? Will you choose to turn and walk towards the darkness, which seems so crazy, and so out of this world, and take steps towards the rising of the new day, where God can begin to restore and heal in your life? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we are grateful that the story does not end in the garden, that the story did not end at the cross, but that you rose again and you give us hope that there is more to the story, that you are not finished, that you are not done with us. So we pray that you would give us great courage to face those fears, to face the suffering and the pain, knowing that you are with us, that you see us and that you understand us. Would you help this community grow stronger in that? Would you help this community be the kind of community that looks at each other, sees pain, and says, I see you. I'm with you. Help us to be that not just in this room, but in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces. Help us to bring these hope bringers to the world because that's who you are. So we're grateful for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. As I understand it, communion is a part of this, this, this community, and I love that we get to do that. Um, this is the culminating moment, really, uh, in our gathering, is to share uh, in the life of Christ together. And as I shared, um, we often celebrate the resurrection, and, and that's the life, and, and that's what we think about in communion. But I, I'd have you think about this this morning, that, that it's in death and even his suffering that we bond closely in a way that no other thing can help us connect to him in that way. So if you're suffering, if you're in pain, let this time of communion be a time that you connect with God who sees you, who is with you. Uh, we have, again, as Andy said, there's prayer, uh, prayer walls around here. Um, I think there'll be people around that would love to pray with you as well. I'll be out on the patio, um, and if you want to talk to me and share your story with me, I would love to hear that as well. But uh, this time to commune with God and others around the room is now yours, so feel free to go as you feel led. Thank you for having me here with you guys and to share my story and a little bit of uh, what God is doing. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be with you. Uh, I wanted to give you some encouragement as you go this morning that uh, we can be a community that suffers well, that our hope can be found in Jesus who, um, 
who had the final say on death and that he rose from the grave. And so uh, I want to just give you encouragement to go and be that in the community as you leave here. So uh, let me, can I pronounce a blessing over you? Is that okay? All right. Uh, God, would you go with us and go with these people today as they go out to be uh, your hands and feet into the community? Would you empower them? Would you equip them? Uh, Would you give them great courage to step into darkness, to suffer well with you so that they can be those who come alongside others in the midst of pain and suffering and help them as well? God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in God's grace. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.